quintessential lacrosse podcast we're late in august and for me this is the merging of the seasons i'm heading to charlotte this week for college football meetings got my first game on august 27th in atlanta game september 3rd i'll be at michigan september 10th i'll be at byu all the while lacrosse uh, still plenty of action athletes unlimited wrapping things up last weekend taylor moreno and sam apuzo going head to head it came down to the last game the last minute uh, incredible drama there. Just enjoyed the day I spent out with that group out at Hunt Valley and U.S. Lacrosse headquarters. We've got the uh, under-21 World Championships going on in Limerick, Ireland. I'll be working those games on Thursday this week, the USA semifinals, uh, and then the championship game Saturday on ESPN U, 2 o'clock. And what really looks like it should be a U.S. and Canada final. The two teams met in uh, round robin play in the U.S. one seven to five, so that's Saturday. ESPNU two o'clock. The semis are on Thursday. We're waiting to hear whether the U.S. is going to play on Thursday at eleven or two. Again, that's on ESPNU. Both of those. It's a great uh, opportunity to, if you're a college fan, you're going to want to watch. Uh, I'll be going over some of those lineups a little later. PLLs in Seattle this weekend, Saturday and Sunday uh, afternoon and evening time slots. ESPN Plus. Uh, I want to take this opportunity to thank Dr. Z for all his work on the podcast this season and Nikki P. Peaches for, for the work that he has done uh, on the print side, uh, the website side, the articles that I've been submitting. Uh, this week's edition was about my road trip to Salt Lake and the, the wonderful time I had, albeit uh, a canceled flight, a delayed flight, a plane that wouldn't fly, a cell phone that wouldn't charge. And in between it, uh, I got to uh, to call two games from the booth with Cotter and then to be downstairs for two more on Saturday afternoon. And just uh, the, the game continues to just uh, amaze me. The players are just it's Jurassic Park every week. The skill level is so high. Uh, the access that we get is amazing. I'm learning. Uh, I'm excited. I'm seeing new things every week. If you're not watching the PLL, I really encourage you to watch this weekend. ESPN Plus from Seattle. They're actually at the Tacoma Dome. Uh, in a couple of important games there as they sort themselves out for the playoffs. This podcast is about uh, listener Twitter questions. And we've got uh, more than a handful. Some are really difficult. Some are easy. Some are silly. Some are smart. Uh, and and let, let's get things started. I'm not sure uh, how this is going to work. Uh, uh, McMicah7, that's Craig. How does the Big Ten move from ESPN impact lacrosse coverage? Okay, this is about the D1 lacrosse coverage that you often see from Big Ten. And this is well above my pay grade. Uh, this is more of a programming issue. I, I don't think there'll be a significant change in the short term. Uh, the Big Ten and BTN, they, they own games that emanate from Big Ten schools, uh, like the University of Maryland, Ohio State, Michigan, except for Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins, uh, years ago, uh, garnered their own TV contract uh, with ESPN. So uh, as of right now, the ESPN networks own games from Homewood Field. Uh, so like last year, I went to Michigan and covered a Rutgers-Michigan game. I know we had an Ohio State home game. If the Big Ten, the way I understand it, I may be, I may be wrong. Again, this is not, I'm not in the programming department. But if, the, if BTN and the Big Ten doesn't activate a home game from a Big Ten conference team, ESPN then has the the ability to jump in and take that game. So whether that's a game from Panzer Stadium at Penn State, a game from Rutgers, et cetera. So uh, I would expect our coverage to, to look uh, 
kind of the same going forward where we're going to show you the Johns Hopkins home games. We're going to show you a lot of ACC. I'm, I'm always pushing our programming department to, to go after more uh, high-end Ivy League games. Uh, I would love to see a little more Georgetown and Denver out of the Big East on t- television and then some Patriot League teams like Army and Navy, I think, would rate really well. The, the, those are constants that, that I, I have been uh, in contact with our programming people for, for decades, uh, and uh, they're doing the best they can. They're trying to get the best games on TV. And so short term, the, the simple answer is I don't think there'll be much of a change short term, uh, Craig, in, in what you see in terms of uh, Division One men's lacrosse coverage. Second question is also from Craig. Uh, it's a PLO question, uh, and it's geared to Mike and Paul Rabel. How do I think they can enhance the game or enhance the fan experience? And again, this is not my jurisdiction. I will tell you, the, the crowds that I have seen this year, it's a little different demographic than a college. It's a little younger than a typical college crowd, but they are enthusiastic. The merchandising sales, I got to tell you, Salt Lake, like this weekend, every single 10-year-old kid in the stadium had a jersey on, Archers, Redwoods, Atlas. And so the, 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 the weird and yet cool thing is you go to a game and the place is full. They're super enthusiastic. They stay for two games. They come back the next day. Their parents are there. They're loving it, okay? They love the free T-shirts. They're, they're like hooked. But because there isn't a home and away, because it isn't city-based, Sometimes when a goal is scored, it seems kind of muted because, again, this fan base, let's say you get 10,000 at Gillette, which we had for the All-Star game, there's segments. You know, there's eight different teams represented there. So it's not like a home and away. So one thing I would recommend is when you buy a, a general ticket, there should be sections based on team support. I would love to see a section of Redwood fans sit together. I would love to see a, a section of Archers fans sit together. And that way, when that team scored a goal, our cameras could cut to that section and they'd be going crazy and they'd be cheering and singing songs. So that that's just one simple way. I think they can uh, improve the vibe at the venue. Uh, I'm a big fan of small to medium sized venues as well. You know, I I loved what I saw from Denver. I I think the semifinals this year at at Addy field in Washington, DC are going to look amazing. Uh, The Virginia Maryland game was played there in mid March. That was a tremendous setting. The pitch is awesome. The angles for the fans are terrific. The, the TV setup is, is, is as good as it gets with our camera angles from the end zone to the angle from the booth. Uh, and then the other thing would be, you know, going forward, summertime slots. Uh, again, I, I, I'm not involved in these decisions. It's just things, you know, like people are busy a lot during the summer weekends. Is there a chance that going forward, the league would play on Monday nights or Thursday nights? Now, I, I, again, I, I don't know. You know, these guys are running this league. Uh, the, their biggest challenge is is to travel eight teams to these sites to pay an enormous amount of bills and to try to get as many people in the stadium as possible and get as many to watch on TV. But I think during the summer, I would love to see an occasional Monday night or Thursday night on, on a national uh, linear network. I think those games uh, p- could potentially get more eyeballs. And again, it's, it's going to cost you some, but uh, I, I think that would be a step forward. And hopefully that will be considered as the league goes forward. All right, Nikki Z, this is an insider trading question. With the trade deadline being Tuesday, August 16th, he wants to know what uh, – uh, something about a Lyle trade, I think it is. Would the Cannons consider trading Lyle? 
Well, the Cannons need midfield. The Archers need defense. The Chaos need American midfielders. They've got an excess of poles. But what would it take for the Cannons to trade Lyle? Holy Cheat 3 also asked the same question. What would it take? Like, I don't know, three starters, one at attack, one at midfield, one at defense, and then like two first-round draft choices. Let's start there. It's a five-for-one trade. If you, if you want the Cannons to get rid of Lyle, who not only is the face of the franchise, he's the face of the league, uh, he's the bright spot on a team that otherwise has struggled. It's got to it's got to be a bona fide starter at attack, midfield, defense, and some future considerations. Uh, I would ask for two first round draft choices. That's how much I believe that Lyle, uh, who's now twenty nine, uh, he means to to the to the Cannons and 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 the league. Cannons played hard though. I got to tell you, Cannons played super hard last week. They had a couple stretches where where they didn't play smart defense i think that's their biggest thing i think is is midfield oh they're not dominant at the midfield oh they need a, a stronger left-handed presence on attack i like the asher nolting lyle thompson combo they don't get much from that left side and, th and then they need some midfielders who can draw double teams and be party starters ryan drenner's had a nice year ryan tierney scored a, a nice goal the other day i think bubba fairman's doing a good job in a two-way role he's more of a short stick d-man but there is a shortage of offensive midfielders right now for the Cannons. They can also upgrade defensively. Uh, Brody Merrill's 40. Jake Pulver's a, a bona fide starter in this league. Uh, it's the other guys right now who, who I'm struggling with. And Nick Morocco's been under pressure the entire summer. He's at 50%, but, man, he, he sees a lot, a lot of rubber. All right, Vince Rassa at Vince Rassa. Are there plans to expand the PLL? Ooh, this is a pretty common question. Uh, I don't, again, I don't know. Uh, I'm not in discussions with Mike and Paul about this type of issue. I will say a couple tweaks, maybe things that, that we discuss, you know, is, is, uh, it's a summer schedule idea. Do, do you start the league earlier in May or, or maybe even before that in late April, the is continuing in September, uh, a smart move. I don't know. We'll find out, you know, anytime you're going opposite the NFL or college football, it can't help, but you do get good time slots on those other networks as alternative programming. Right now, they got eight teams, 19 players dress on each team. Uh, last week's podcast, if you want to listen to it, Jimmy Stagnita talked about how he thinks that the league should go to a 20 dress or maybe even 21 dress formula because an injury in mid-game, these rosters are thin at 19. Uh, an injury of a face-off man, a goalie, or a star player can really tilt the scales up. Uh, against you so he believes that going forward for televised and playoff games that number should be grown to 20 or 21 could we add an expansion team they could uh right now if you took all the player pool guys uh, and made a team out of them they, they'd be the worst team in the league by far so i'm not sure that's a positive either the other thing going forward you know city-based or do you split the league do you have two games in nashville while well, you have two games in la the same weekend again you're asking uh, to spend more money that way. Uh, if you could fill the arenas, it would be worthwhile. Is four games at one site in one weekend too much for the fan? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it is. They, they seem to be coming back in droves. Uh, attach home venues to certain franchises. So the Cannons would be at home in Gillette. The Whips would be at home in Audi and D.C. The Archers, let's say, at Subaru Field in Philadelphia. The Chrome may be based out of the Star and come there once or twice a summer. Uh, that, that's another solution. So city-based, but we're, we're, coming to, we're coming to your town once or twice a summer. So it 
that would have the same feel, but all of a sudden in Dallas now and Frisco, you're going to have more Chrome fans. Uh, maybe maybe that's a a halfway solution to uh, to to this issue. Uh, I don't think expansion is the answer right now. I think quality, uh, getting better doesn't mean getting bigger. Getting better just means getting better. And the object of any professional league is twofold. It's to get people in seats, get people to buy tickets. It's get people to, in front of televisions and sets. Uh, and then you can grow your sponsor revenue. And, and Paul and Mike have done an amazing job uh, in that department. They've done an amazing job in the social media department. They've done a terrific job in acquiring the rights on ESPN and ABC. Uh, this is uh this is this is really heady stuff they've done, and it's pushed the game forward. Uh, I'm thrilled and excited just just to be part of it. It's uh, it's really really cool. Uh, not in my wildest dream did I ever think that there'd be pro lacrosse played on ABC in front of a national audience. All right, Terps Lacks, 1991. He's old school, and and this you know you know I love this. You know I love uniforms. You know I love numbers. Who wears number one for Maryland in 2023? Oh, my gosh. Who wears the fame number one? Well, we know Joey Spillane is wearing 22 at Syracuse, and hopefully he'll be uh, kind of end of the curse at 22. It, it, it almost feels like that number is uh, cursed right now. So who's, who wears number one at Maryland? I would say Brett Maycar does, but uh, not so fast. I think Kyle Long might be in the equation right there. I texted John Tillman about this today. Guess what I got back? Complete silence. And John Tillman will return my text at 6 a.m. He'll return them at, at 1 a.m. Uh, the, the guy returns every text and uh, it's so, so I get the sense that he wants no part of this issue right now. Uh, this will have to be decided between Mr. Long and Mr. Maycar. Oh, Matt Hamilton, a U.S. lacrosse. Another funny question. How's my garden looking? Well, if you've been following the weather lately, it's been really hot in the mid-Atlantic. Uh, I water. I've been away quite a bit this summer. And I've, I've found that like late June, July and the first half of August, it's kind of standstill weather because the, the plants are just surviving. They're not thriving. Uh, one thing that does well in the heat are my cucumbers and my basil uh, and my beet greens. So I've been pulling uh, those for salads, you know, since, since the end of May, it's been amazing. My uh, kale and spinach tend to wilt a little during the summer. They're much better as spring and fall, uh, but there's nothing that, that I love more than going out to my garden, picking my greens, bringing them in the kitchen, washing them off, and actually eating a salad like 15 minutes later with things that I picked from my garden. Uh, my squash is looking good. The, the tomatoes have been torn through by the deer. I got my fall stuff planted and ready to go now as the weather will change. Uh, the days are shorter, yeah, but September is a beautiful month here in the state of Maryland. I got squash and melons and pumpkins uh, on tap, and, and all my herbs have done amazing. Uh, I've got rosemary, thyme, parsley, parcel, uh, and some mint that I pick to sprinkle in my iced tea. All right, John Guglielmone, does BU, Boston U improve or do they fall back? That's a tough question. I look at the Patriot League next year uh, and one thing that I am sure of, actually there's three things that I'm sure of. I think Army's gonna take a step back, okay? Uh, I love Army, I almost went there. But between 19 seniors and Brendan Nickturn, and if they could win the league this year, I'm, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to see them winning it next year. The other thing I'm sure of is that Navy is going to be better next year. Uh, Navy had a weird season, okay? If you're a Navy fan, they beat Army. They beat Johns Hopkins. Those are like the two biggest games on their schedule. But otherwise, they were wildly inconsistent. They didn't get good goal play. Their attack didn't score. 
But Joe Ample has been bringing in recruits. So I, I guarantee that Navy has a stronger season next year. I guarantee that Lafayette does not go one and seven next year. I called their Virginia game late in the year, and Pat Myers is building something good there. Yeah, they're one and seven. Uh, they will not be one and seven in the Patriot League next year. BU should be strong, though. Uh, I covered their their playoff loss at Princeton, and I liked what I saw. Okay, Perfetto's back on attack. Louis Perfetto's back. Vince D'Alto is back. Timmy Lay, I believe, was a senior and is done from Massapequa. That was the all Long Island. That was the Long Island Express attack unit. Now, again, with, with COVID, I don't know. Does Lay have another year? I'm not sure. Midfield Dodgers is where this team needs to step up. Uh, Christian Quadrino is only a sophomore. He's a waterbug lefty. Tommy Bork, uh, pretty good. Late in the year, they got some production from some other guys who came off the bench and played pretty well. Roy Meyer, who's their main disruptor at the long pole, great player on Long Beach, Long Island. Uh, he's a rising senior, so he's back. I think they have to replace Matt Garber between the pipes. But again, I'm not sure with COVID. He was a 22-year-old senior from Westport, Connecticut, who played at Staples. So I think that's an area... Uh, again, with COVID, I'm not quite positive looking at my boards. And then Connor Calderon faced off the transfer from Maryland. He's got another year. So I expect Ryan, Ryan Poley uh, and this team to keep it rolling. They were pretty special. I think they've identified a style of play. They're scrappy. They ride. Uh, they just need more Dodgers who can draw double teams uh, against big-time competition. Good question, though, John. Thank you. And he also wants to know who are my overall surprises? Who's, who's going to make a run of the final four? Wow. It's, it's uh, early to make picks for the final four, but we can go over some things with the help of my friends at DraftKings. I pulled up the odds to win a national championship in 2023 at the link. Uh, quarterfinals next year are going to be at Navy and Albany. So I'm really excited about that finals in Philadelphia at the link. Maryland's a favorite at plus 450. I, I, I can't stomach Maryland at plus 450. I'm sorry. When you lose, when you lose Keegan Kahn, Logan Wisnowskis, Jonathan Donville, Anthony DeMeo, when you lose all four shorties, Bubba Fairman, Roman Puglisi, Alex Smith, Jake Higgins, three of those four, uh, actually all four were, are, are, got action in the PLL this summer. Fairman plays for the Cannons. Puglisi's been hurt. Alex Smith's dressed for a game at the star. Jake Higgins is a starter in the league. Okay. You're telling me a team's going to lose four shorties and come back to the favorite to win a national championship? Come on, please. Matt Rahill's in the league as well. So you bring back Zapatello and Makar on D. You got Logan McNaney between the pipes. I would guarantee that his save percentage is not as high next year as it was this year. And then the X factor is Luke Weirman. He's back as well. So the positives on offense will be Kyle Long, Eric Maliver. Uh, you know, you got some other guys. Owen Murphy really picked it up this year. Jack Brennan and Jack Corris are back. So Maryland's really good. But are they the favorite? Should they be the favorite? I don't think so, even given the John Tillman's track record. So I see them as bad value at plus 450. Virginia at plus 550. I like Virginia, but, I, you know, plus 550 is not exactly giving away money here. Uh, Virginia's going to be loaded, okay? They add Thomas McConvey from Vermont in the transfer portal. He's like best friends with Peyton Cormier. The two-man games over there are going to be glorious. Connor Schellenberger's back. He should be healthy. He runs the offense. Matt Moore has graduated. He's playing for the Archers. Uh, Xander Dixon comes back. Griffin Schutz will be a sophomore. I think it's that second level of midfielders that have to uh, turn the corner. Guys like Pete Garno, uh, 
Jeff Connor, I'm not sure his status. I got him listed as a senior. He may be coming back. But who's that next wave of, of Virginia midfielders? Because I think they're going to be a little, pretty strong at the shorty spot. Danny Parker is playing for Team USA right now in Limerick, Ireland. Noah Chismar was only a freshman. Saladay's gone. Jack Peel is gone. So shorty's a little bit of a question mark. But the D should be good. No question. Col- Cade Sawstad, Cole Kastner, and Quentin Matsui. Uh, in front of Matt Nunes is a scary unit. So I actually like Virginia better at 550, plus 550, than I like than Maryland at plus 450. But I, again, they're not on sale. Uh, Notre Dame at any price is not on sale because Notre Dame has never won a national championship. And what makes this year any different? Okay. And the recent news that uh, their goal-scoring attackman uh, tore his ACL, Jake Taylor, who was the, really the catalyst for their turnaround last season. Taylor's back. Obviously, Notre Dame can win a national championship, but at plus 550, again, I'm not really interested. Uh, teams I like, I think Yale's going to be better, the plus 1,100. I think Yale, Yale's got to figure out the defense. That, that, they struggled on D. I mean, I, that's that's saying it kind. And they lose Chris Fake. Jared Paquette's playing for Team USA U21 right now. He started earlier today against the Australians. I like what I'm seeing from Jack Monfort and Patrick Hackler. They're on the USA team as well as transitional midfielders. You had to be impressive, impressed with some of their young players last year. Brad Sharp at the midfield, Jack Stusen at the long pole, uh, and then the attack should be one of the best in the country. Uh, Leo Johnson, Matt Brandau, Chris Lyons, throwing some Thomas Bragg on extra man. It's a really good team. Uh, and Yale has won a title. Yale has played in big games. So Yale at plus 1,100 is a little more enticing to me than Notre Dame at half that price at plus 550. And then the last team I'll talk about right now is Georgetown. Uh, Georgetown won the portal, okay? And we'll talk about that in the fall when, when things go final. But but the Hoyas won, won the portal. And that's a scary thought considering that they were the number two seed heading into the NCAA tournament. They're plus 1,100 right now. Their schedule was upgraded last year. They lost that game to Princeton. But I certainly believe that Georgetown can, can factor into this whole thing. I, you know, so at the end of the day, I would side right now with Virginia, Yale, Georgetown. And then I'm picking between the usuals. Again, Maryland, Notre Dame, Duke, Princeton, and Cornell. Cornell's pretty darn good. They bring back their whole team. I thought they caught some breaks on, on their way this year. Uh, but uh, their culture is super strong. Princeton's going to be really talented. Uh, Duke loses some here and there, but they're still Duke. Uh, I'm going to fade Rutgers overall. I would fade Rutgers. I would take the under on Rutgers wins. Uh, they, they just lost too much. And then another team I think I like is Harvard. Uh, Harvard had a strong season. Yeah, they got in the playoffs. Maybe shouldn't didn't deserve it. But at the end of the day, Harvard's bringing back uh, their entire roster for next season. All right, uh, Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City, uh, that's his Twitter handle, I think. Talking about lax in Utah, Utah being a D1 program. He wants to know if UCLA or USC is going to add men's programs. I would say not in the short term. Uh, and he also points to the boys' high school talent in the state of Utah going through the roof. But many of the players are headed out of state. Well, that's that's not uncommon, okay? How many players from Long Island stay home and go to Hofstra, St. John's, or Stony Brook? We want to get off the island. The, 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 the boys who grew up in Utah Valley want to see the world. They want to get out of the Utah Valley. But I will tell you, after being in the Utah Valley this weekend, if I was recruited from Long Island and you flew me out there and you took me to campus, which is quite nice, you took me to Salt Lake City, you took me out to Park City, 
you would have you'd have a really strong case to recruit some East Coast talent. So that's a special place right now. Salt Lake City is growing at like 18% a year back in 2020. I think they've hit that mark. And when you're out there, you just see it. Gosh, I, I've gone to Salt Lake and BYU now for about a decade. And every time I go out there, uh, I'm seeing more and more condos. I'm seeing more and more towns spring up. And with that comes lacrosse because there's a lot of East Coast transplants and there's a lot of California folks moving to Salt Lake City. But uh, I, I had a great time there. I stayed in Park City and I'll be heading back. Uh, it was kind of a, an exploratory mission, kind of a, my own little Lewis and Clark because I had never been there. It added quite a bit of driving to my schedule to get to the games. But uh, I got a beautiful hike up on the mountain up by, by Deer Valley, had a good meal in town uh, and got the overall vibe of Park City, home of uh, Adam Gittleman. PLLs in Seattle this week, as I said, we got USA under 21s in Ireland Thursday and Saturday on ESPNU. Uh, you know, one topic that's not been discussed that I want to bring up right now, it's my own Twitter question, is realignment. Like, I don't know if the lacrosse fan really knows, but there's massive realignment coming to D1 lacrosse in 2023. Massive. Like, it's so confusing. I write it down, and I'm still not sure what I'm looking at. Okay, the America East, well, it, here's here's the, the basis of it, is SoCon Lax is gone. And I love the SoCon. Man. There was nothing like SOCON teams facing ACC teams on Thursday nights or odd times. They got on TV. It really built strong programs at High Point, Jacksonville, and Richmond. It was fun. And it gave those teams just incredible exposure. So I'm going to miss SOCON Lax. And so that really starts this, this, this new movement of, of, of teams. Uh, and here's the deal. The America East adds Bryant and Merrimack. Okay, Bryant's got a new coach. We'll talk about that in a second as well. A Sun Lacrosse is a reality. Okay, Jacksonville, Mercer, Queens University of Charlotte, and Lindenwood, two new programs going to be in the A Sun. The A10, Richmond moves to the A10. St. Joe's is in the A10. Those are two really good teams. UMass is in the A10. High Points in the A10. Hobart's in the A10. St. Bonaventure is now in the A10. That is a heated conference, and it's a good one. CAA adds Hampton, Monmouth, and Stony Brook. I think worth noting there is that Stony Brook and Hofstra are now in the same conference. Uh, and, and that's awesome in terms of a, a rivalry on Long Island. Uh, the Mac, M M M M Mac with the double A's, uh, adds VMI, Mount St. Mary's, LIU, Sacred Heart, and Wagner. Okay, next year's tournament, as I said, it's going to have nine AQs, eight at-large, quarterfinals, Albany on May 20th, Navy on May 21st, national championship in philadelphia at the link i couldn't be more thrilled i think albany will sell out i think maybe we can set crowd records uh if they bracket this thing correctly and you get some northern teams at albany and you get that southern contingent of virginia let's say or maryland at navy man you're looking at 10 15 000, uh and an awesome doubleheader of lacrosse so well done to the ncaa uh i couldn't be more excited for the upcoming year p rosenthal 1969 a little throwback question. How has goalie play changed in the last 25 years? That's a good question. Uh, save percentages dipped. Shot velocity has clearly gone through the roof with technology, stick technology, lighter. Skill level of the offensive players across the board, much better. Accuracy, never been better. The recent development, though, the shot clock has actually helped the goalies in the last couple of years because late in the shot clock, teams take bad shots. It's going to pad your, pad your save percentage. So save percentage is dipped. 
and now they're working their way back up. What I'm noticing for goalies, they're a little less inclined out of the net. You know, my era of goaltenders, uh, we were renegades. Like we took all sorts of chances. So that was back when possessions, you know, there'd be high, like 60 possession games, really high possession games. So a mistake wasn't catastrophic. Nowadays, it seems that, you know, with fewer possessions, uh, even with the shot clock, there's still fewer possessions that, that mistakes out of the net are not uh, well received by a coach. And when you lose games, your coach gets fired. So your coach whose future is dependent on your play in the net is more inclined to have you play conservative, which is not my favorite. I think angle plays an interesting storyline right now because we see the three different arcs of goaltenders uh, all having success, like low arc guys, uh, Blaze Reardon of the chaos, the best goalie in the pro league last year, let him do a championship. He's very much a low arc. I mean, his, his butts in the goal, Logan McNaney of, of Maryland led Maryland to the title. He's also a deep, arc goalie medium arcs i'd say colin Kirst of rutgers and now with the cannons he's more of a medium arc he's more of a the typical arc that that you, you saw in the in the 80s and the 90s and then the high arc you know there's certain shots from medium range where you're seeing goalies rush out to the top of their crease uh because the shooters are so good they're going to hit a corner and you're not going to be fast enough to make that reaction so guys like dylan ward i think you know team canada goalie former goalie at bellarmine he has more popularized the high arc Matt Nunes of University of Virginia at times will encroach out on that high arc. Uh, and Eric Peters of Princeton last year, who's a little undersized, uh, he used it at medium range and he had a, an outstanding season. Duke Silver from Twitter. Can anyone stop the whips? Ooh. Uh, going into last weekend, I, I thought, yes. I, I, I didn't see the whips as, as being in a, uh, a huge favorite going in the last weekend and then about one half of lacrosse later it's like wow what was that they jumped out what was it six nothing six one and twelve one at halftime last weekend in salt lake city over the atlas and the atlas is a team with championship expert uh expectations championship ability without a doubt atlas are, are one of the main contenders and they dusted them so that was the best half of lacrosse i've seen from a pro team since maybe the 2005 Bayhawks whip snakes uh, playing team ball, you know, Rambo, Matt Rambo and Zed Williams on the corners down low at attack are pushing to the goal, using their muscle and, and demanding double teams. Uh, and then they're getting the ball to guys like China Chuck or Brian Cole uh, who are distributing it to, to the finishers. Jay Carlson had a big day. Keegan Khan, has got really good wheels right now. Uh, I think the play of their shorties on defense has improved dramatically from the beginning of the year. Jake Bernhardt and Tyler Warner in particular. And then the defense, it's an all-turp D. Okay, what's not to like about that? These guys have been playing together now for years and for games. And so the communication, the unspoken visual communication, the, the visual cues you get from a guy you've played with for 100 lacrosse games, you know when he's beat, you know when he's fine. You know those little idiosyncrasies. So you make good decisions. You make better slides. We're all on the same page together. You know, he doesn't have to say, I need help here, because you know it. You know when he's in control. You know when he's not in control. So that relationship between a Matt Dunn, a Timmy Muller, uh, and a Bryce Young is about as good as it can get. And that is a huge, huge advantage for this Whip Snakes team. That, that, that uh, unspoken chemistry that they have on defense in front of Kyle Bernlar, who's had a great season. He got hit with a bunch of shots the other day, and, man, he got his confidence going, uh, and he's, he's bounced back. 
Again, uh, listen to the Jimmy Stagnita podcast from last week. If you're a Whip Snakes fan, there's a lot of good stuff. Uh, and he talks about Kyle Bernlor's reemergence after a sub five, uh, 50% season last year to be one of the best goalies in the league this year. So Whip Snakes are the favorite. And after what they did last week, uh, I'm hard pressed to, uh, to beat them. You know, it, it will be interesting. They're, the league is off on August 27th. They finish up this weekend uh, in Seattle. Uh, the Whip Snakes will play the Cannons on Sunday at three o'clock on ESPN Plus, and then the Whips will be off on the 27th. They also get a buy in the quarterfinals on September 3rd. Okay, those games are being played at Gillette, and I think this year they're going to have the Whip Snakes go to Gillette and practice two days in a row just to keep them in that rhythm because two weeks off is not your friend in this league. These guys are in such a rhythm, they're in such a the travel practice play mode from uh, late May that any kind of stoppage for two weeks uh, would be detrimental to their performance. So I think you'll see the Whip Snakes, Coach Stagnita, and the entire group travel, take that 27th week off, and then travel up to Boston uh, and practice twice uh, in Gillette. Peter Schaefer. Uh, this is an interesting question. It's more of a high school-oriented question for uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers. What are my thoughts on the silly club tournaments? How many is the right number? Uh I think the key for any young lacrosse player is understanding the difference between improvement and exposure. Okay. You don't go to event events, particularly to improve. If you're a midfielder, let's say you play in an event, maybe two games on a day on a Saturday, how many touches are you going to get? How many shots are you going to take? Six, eight. If you're lucky, you score three goals. Maybe you could also play in some shifts and never touch the ball. You could be a goalie and get two shots against you in a whole day. Or you could get 50 shots against you in all It's very unpredictable. So, so don't consider playing in those games as improvement. Practice is improvement. Okay. If you're into improvement, then you need to practice. And I really recommend individual training with a small group or, or uh, you know, whether it's a college player who lives in your area, a pro player or a coach who lives in your area, just at hour increments, you can get a lot done in an hour. Uh, you know, I lived, I lived in an era before club, club lacrosse, but I tell you, I, there was no shortage of wall ball. And I joke about wall ball paid for my college tuition. It did. I did more than four hours of wall ball, like every week uh, as, as, a, as a kid. And so you, you can't put a price tag on improvement and reps. When it comes to exposure though, you get to a certain stage when you're a sophomore or junior in high school that you do have to go to, go to events. You do have to be seen. Too many kids go to events and are seen and they're not ready. And it's easy to get your name crossed off a list. So Pick your spots, okay? Pick your spots. There's no reason that the family has to be at the airport and on planes chasing this dream. Keep things within driving range. Keep things under four hours. Don't ruin your family. Don't ruin your summer chasing this lacrosse dream, okay? Fit it in. Three, four events a summer, that's fine. Driving range, maybe one night in a hotel, that's fine. It's fun. You're playing with your friends. You're getting better. Uh, you're getting some of that game action uh, and you're getting seen down the road by college coaches. But, but, you know, again, anytime you're at a lacrosse tournament, you also have to value, like put the equation up. This is time spent, not with family. This is time spent, not at the beach or the lake. This is time spent, not reading books, not pursuing other hobbies, uh, write all these things down. And, and again, every young athlete, every young student athlete is different. Uh, you know, some are going to be high end D one players. Others hope to play D three. Others may play college club. Like it's all good, but don't confuse more playing in more events with, with a healthier 
with a healthier athlete, with a healthier person, with a happy person, because there are some miserable people chasing the dream right now. I'm a 95 stuck in traffic. All right. Uh, this fall, we're going to talk about the transfer portal. We're going to talk about the PLL playoffs. Uh, after this week, we'll kind of, that'll crystallize. Whips are in first place, as I said. Chrome's sitting in second after their big win. They're six and three. Archers, Atlas, Water Dogs, all at five and four. Redwoods at four and five. And then at the end of this weekend, we'll know whether the Chaos, two and seven, or the Cannons, one and eight, are left out. So seven of the eight teams make the postseason. Whips have the bye, and then they pair off. Two goes with seven, three goes with six, and four plays five. Those games, September 3rd uh, at Gillette. This weekend's action, again, Saturday, 7 o'clock, ESPN Plus. Chrome and Redwoods. Redwoods are playing well. Matt, uh, Rob Pinnell was unbelievable last week. I, I, I got to give him credit. It's the best I've seen him play in a decade. Six assists. He was awesome. Archers and Water Dogs, game two. And then Sunday, Whips and Cannons, best against the worst. Lyle's playing, so it's always worth watching. And then Atlas Chaos in a huge game for the chaos. One other thing I wanted to talk about, we talked about realignment. Coaching carousel, I'm not sure we've, we've given the coaching carousel enough love this summer. Uh, the most recent head coach hires, and congratulations to Ryan Dennehy, uh, the new head coach of the Mercer Bears. A uh, couple other changes, if you're not up to date with it, St. John's hires Justin Turry. It's going to be interesting to see if St. John's can, can step up. They had some success years ago when Kieran McArdle was there. They actually, I think they played for a Big East championship one year. I covered that game. Providence hired Bob Benson. We had him as a podcast guest. If you have, if you have any uh, relationship with the Providence program or you're thinking about going there, search through our Lex All-Stars podcast archives. It was a good one with Bob Benson. He also talks about offensive philosophy and the USA Sixes. UMass Lowell hires Drew Kelleher. NJIT hires Eric Wolf. Uh, big move. Mike Kressler retires, uh, kind of retires, because I think he's going to be coaching in high school. Brad Ross, who is the assistant at the Naval Academy, takes over that Bryant job. Brad's had a lot of success as an assistant at Ohio State and Navy. Manhattan hires John Oderna, and LIU hires the former Albany Great Dane, Jordan Levine. Uh, a couple notable coordinator hires as well that I think are significant. Uh, Tom Compatello, the offensive coordinator, Yale, uh, stepping away from coaching. And Colin Nesdale, who's uh, internal promotion by Andy Shea, is the new offensive coordinator at Yale. He inherits a great situation. As I said, Yale's loaded on offense. I think, you know, the guys I mentioned, Yale's offense should be second uh, second to none, really, in the Ivy League. Brian Teblin's, I think, their only major loss from last year, if Christian Crop, I'm not sure if he can come back or not. Uh, I have him listed as a senior. John Crawley's the new offensive coordinator at Johns Hopkins for Peter Milliman. Now he's uh, Milliman's hired uh, two Hopkins alums uh, to flank him, and it's a critical year for the Blue Jays. I mean, if, if Hopkins doesn't get it turned around this year, you've got to wonder what's going to go on there. Scott Bita uh, takes over at Michigan as the offensive coordinator. Uh, that's that was Justin Turry's spot. Michigan's Michigan's going to be good next year. I would take the over on Michigan regular season wins. Um, Michigan brings everybody back there. They got off to that great start last year against a, a schedule that was quite, uh, quite easy, but there's some talent on that team. I think coach is going to ramp up their schedule. And I, I think you're going to see Michigan uh, in the top 20 this year. Mike Phipps was hired at Navy. This one kind of surprised me. He leaves Georgetown. The Hoyas in a 
you know, number two seed going into the NCAA tournament last year. They've won a handful of Big East tournament, Big East championships in a row. So this surprised me, but apparently Navy is throwing money at their lacrosse coaches like I have never heard of. I mean, almost $200,000 to the offensive coordinator at a 50-50 team in the Patriot League. Ooh, hats off to Navy because Phipps makes that switch. Uh, and, and then uh, Georgetown goes and hires John Hogan as their offensive coordinator. Joe Bucci's hired as defensive coordinator at Penn State. It's been a revolving door at Penn State in terms of defensive coordinators. That team has some talent. I, I expect a better year from Penn State, but the defense has been uh, really, really head-shaking uh, in, in the last two years. And then the last one I want to mention, congratulations to Nick Grill. Nick's only two years out of the University of Maryland. Defender, uh, really great player. He's in the PLL right now. He's now the new defensive coordinator at Vermont. Uh, as, Jake, as Jake Bernhardt leaves the Vermont staff and goes to Maryland as their OC. But Grill's going to be the DC at Vermont. So congratulations to Nick. He's a, he's a young man that I got to spend some time with last year. Uh, in his last year, when he was a senior at Maryland, I was really impressed. He's going to be a, a great young coach and he's fun to watch in, in, the, in the league as well. So best of luck. Best of luck to all those guys. You know, there, there's a bunch of coaches here who have been uh, toiling as assistants who finally get their promotion. There's a, a contingent, there's a youthful contingent of these head coaches. Uh, wish everybody luck. It's not easy. Not everyone can win. That's the thing. You know, it's like uh, everyone's really good at what they do. But uh, every Saturday when you tee it up, you know, someone's taking the L and somebody's taking the W. Well, I hope you enjoyed it. It's a lot of me. Again, this weekend, PLL's in Seattle. You can hear me and Drew Carter calling Team USA in the semifinals on Thursday. The one you want to watch, though, is Saturday. It should be Team USA against Canada, 2 o'clock on ESPNU, U21 gold medal game. 